We're going to, of course, resume on this study that uh, we've been doing over the course of the past many, many weeks, going through bit by bit of the Sermon on the Mount, and just letting Jesus' words, first and foremost, speak for themselves, uh, and then uh, kind of discussing and digesting what he has said to us in this, this sermon of the Lord Jesus that we have recorded in Scripture. Last week, we read through the portion where Jesus spoke to that human tendency that we all, I think, identify with, that tendency that we have to focus our lives on the accumulation of earthly treasure. We make it our business like little squirrels to go through our lives gathering nuts and and scurrying them away, storing them up uh, so that we have what we think we might need. And Jesus said, that's not the way I want you to live in my kingdom, in God's kingdom. The goal is to divert your attention away from earthly treasure and focus instead on heavenly treasure. There's a different way of living there. And I was just thinking about that. Can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, that's a struggle for us all. Let's just say that's, that's not an easy adjustment to make. It's not like, oh, okay, I'll just do that then. I mean, this is a struggle that, that we oftentimes go throughout life uh, fighting the good fight, as it were. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were all successful in that endeavor. To say earthly treasure is not going to be my focus, as we put it a week ago, I'm gonna have a singular focus on the treasure of heaven. What would the impacts of that be? Imagine how life would change if the people of God successfully avoided the temptation to orient their lives around the treasures of this world. Imagine what would happen if we all spent less time and less mental energy Thinking about money, what would happen? Well, interestingly, among the many things that that we could postulate that would happen, mental health professionals, I think, would be quick to tell us that one of the most immediate impacts would be that our mental health would improve dramatically. Dramatically. There are too many studies to cite. Because study after study after study and all the different ways that you might try to measure such a thing, study after study after study tells us that one of the things, if not the thing, that we tend to stress about the most is money. The thing that we spend the most time worrying about is money. An overwhelming amount of the stress that we live with each and every day finds its source at our concern with money. Now, obviously, 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 people with very little money worry about money. And there was a resounding amen from the congregation, right? When you don't have a whole lot of money, you tend to worry a lot about money. But you know what's interesting, and I don't think I'm going to have to convince you of this, If you happen to have a lot of money, you still worry about money an awful lot, don't you? People who don't have money tend to worry about money. And people who do have money tend to worry about money. You see, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. If money or if worldly treasure is your focus, I can't tell you if you're ever going to be rich and I can't tell you if you're ever going to be poor, but I can tell you that you are going to live a stress-filled life. If money and if worldly treasure is your focus, you are going to live a life that is punctuated by anxiety. 
Because that's just not how life in the kingdom of God was meant to be lived. So it makes sense then that having just addressed very specifically and very directly the issue of money. Remember the final words we heard Jesus speak last week is you cannot serve both God and money. Having just addressed this very specifically, Jesus is now going to turn his attention immediately to the twin issues of worry and anxiety. So let's imagine ourselves once more as we listen to the words of Jesus. I'm going to plagiarize his sermon here. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many of us would just say amen to that? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't you love when Jesus is just so blatantly practical? Like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you sure do get it, don't you? You really do. You really do get it. And one of the things that makes the Sermon on the Mount so valuable to us, so, so oft-quoted today, is its practicality. It's about real-life issues. It's about things that are so universal that they concerned people living in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and they still concern us living in Downers Grove 2,000 years later. We've already heard Jesus talk about coping with anger, uh, managing money, dealing with difficult people, right? We've heard about all of those things already and a host of other issues that are as relevant today as they were when they were delivered initially. And worry, anxiety is definitely on that list, isn't it? I'm going to use the word anxiety today, and I just want to be clear, it's not my intention to use that in the clinical sense. We live in a world that talks a lot about anxiety from a clinical standpoint. There's different diagnoses we can receive that use the word anxiety. That's not really the water that I intend to swim in today because that's not my field of expertise. But I think that we can all talk about this general state of feeling anxious feeling worried about things, feeling concerned about what's going to happen. And the world that we live in offers us a lot of remedies for anxiety and anxious feelings. We hear people say, when you feel anxious, stop and breathe deeply. 
When you feel anxious, don't keep it to yourself. Find someone to talk to. When you feel anxious, focus on your blessings, not your shortcomings, not your lack, but focus on your blessings and meditate on those things. And in many circumstances, uh, those pieces of advice and others like them, they can be very, very helpful techniques for coping with worry or feelings of anxiety, right? We have tools that we can use in the world today to help us deal with anxiety in whatever form it might take. So I find it a bit jarring then to hear Jesus have this just very, very blunt take on the issue. Did you catch it? Do not worry. (laughs) About worry, Jesus says, don't. Not really helping me out here, Lord. (laughs) Give me a technique. Give me a tool because I'm going to worry. I'm going to worry. And Jesus is like, yeah, don't. Do not worry. It's as blunt as that. Really, Jesus? Is that all you got for me today? (laughs) Is that all you got? Is it really that simple as just plain don't if you're concerned? And yes, I see the irony in that. If you're concerned that that's what Jesus is saying, Uh, I think we need to address this before we really dig deeply into his words. When Jesus says, do not worry, I don't think that this is a thou shalt not moment. You know what I'm saying? The language that he uses, it doesn't come through in the English translation quite as well, but it's not really a thou shalt not moment. He's not just saying, well, just, just don't, you know, just don't, just don't do that. Just don't do that. We already heard Jesus use some thou shalt not language in the Sermon on the Mount. We've heard it. We've seen it. We know he's capable of it. When he addressed the issue of murder, he said, you know what? Just don't. Right? And we were like, okay, we'll do our best. Just, 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 Just don't. Just don't. Right? When he addressed the issue of adultery, Jesus was like, yeah, let's throw in a thou shalt not here. Just don't. Just don't. And we were like, okay, we're on it. We're on it. When he talked about hypocrisy, You know, praying like the hypocrites do, giving like the hypocrites do, living like the hypocrites do. You know what he said? He said, just, just, just don't. Just thou shalt not. If you leave the shalt in there, take the shalt. Just don't. Just don't. That was the language he used there. He's not really using that language here. His language here is a little bit different. You see, Jesus knows that there are going to be uncomfortable moments in life. He knows that there will be time when your future is unclear. He knows that there will be moments when you feel uneasy as you face difficulties. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus himself was in deep emotional and physical anguish as he prayed in the garden the night before his arrest and crucifixion. He knows what that feels like. And he's not saying thou shalt not feel that way. He's not saying don't do that. He's not saying that's a sin, avoid it at all costs. That's not what he's saying here. What I believe Jesus is saying is, hey guys, ladies, in God's kingdom, we have better options than worry. We have better options than worry. There's no need to worry. We have better options in the kingdom than worrying because we live as citizens of a kingdom where God is our master and money is not. We have the privilege of living a lifestyle in which God is our provider and money is not. And he's saying all of this in context of his discourse on money. 
Because the kingdom is the way it is, because I am calling to you to have the attitudes about money and material wealth that we just discussed, because of all of those things, what's the first word we, we plagiarize today? Therefore, therefore, in this kingdom, we have better options than worrying. We have better options than worrying. We need not worry about how well our lives will be sustained. Let's dig in because here's what Jesus says specifically about that. It's in verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? <coughs> is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In other words, we tend to worry about the basic provision. Well, Jesus is actually calling us to live a greater life. A life that transcends those things. I was reminded of, who, who remembers uh, Cheers? Do we have any fans of the TV show Cheers? Thank you, thank you. I just, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel old. I feel old. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time during the week with, with Garrett and with Cap. I feel old. I heard so that. He literally just turned around and asked what cheers was. I, I love it. I love using Cat Paul. Cat, um, cheers was a show on television. It was color television. Um, right, where everybody knows your name. Sometimes you want to go. Okay, we're all good. We're all good. Okay. Cheers, cheers. Great comedy from this bygone era called the 1980s. <laughs> this isn't helping me. This isn't helping me. All right, making your way in the world today. I'm back, I'm back. Focus, Dan, focus. There was this moment later on in the run of Cheers where, where the classic, the iconic neighborhood tavern that was Cheers got bought out by a corporation. And one of the changes that the corporation instituted is that they made all of the employees wear these really cheesy uniforms, right? And all the regulars were coming into Cheers complaining, man, this isn't, this isn't what Cheers has always been about. This isn't what this place has always been about. You guys look like dopes, you know? And, and nobody liked the new uniforms. And Woody Boyd, do you remember Woody, that naive bartender from, from in central Indiana? Woody says, he goes, I don't know, I kind of like the new uniforms. And they're looking at him like he's crazy. And he goes, well, it saves me that couple of extra hours I used to spend every morning picking out a shirt. <laughs> Thank you, Woody. Thank you, Woody. I like the uniform because, you know, it took me a couple hours every morning to pick out a shirt. I bring that up. I don't even know why anymore. <laughs> I, I bring that up because in my mind, that's a picture of what it's like to worry. It's how anxiety can work in our lives. We're like Woody, focused on this little world of the shirts hanging in our closet, hour after hour, seeing just this one little thing paralyzed by this one little choice that we have to make to get the day going. Meanwhile, the world is going by. Meanwhile, the world is going by. Greater things are happening. Far more important things are going down and we're worried about what shirt we're gonna wear. Isn't that what anxiety does? Our anxieties cause us to limit what's possible. When you're worried, your world gets very, very small. 
And God says, that's not the world that I want you to live in. I don't want you to limit what's possible. Is not life more than food? Is, is not life more than clothes? Jesus famously, much later on, would go on to say that he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. Uh, hear that again. I came that they would have life and have it to the full. Do we hear that there are two different promises in that statement? I came that they would have life and that they would have it to the full. Too many Christians are living the first half of that promise without experiencing the second half. Listen to this. And yeah, it's a little bit of a pun, but hear this. You don't have to be rich to live a rich life. You don't have to be rich to live a rich life. The enemy is going to invite you to worry about how you're going to live your life. He's going to invite you to worry about money, to worry about possessions. And choosing to accept his invitation to worry means, yeah, you live life, but you miss out on the fullness of life that Jesus came to give you. You get that? You only get half the promise when you worry. You limit the possibilities. Yeah, you get to live life, but you miss out on the fullness of life. Jesus wants more, but a habit of worry causes us to limit what he has already made possible. That's not the only problem, of course, with worry. Look at this, verse 27 here. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, if there were sarcastic people in the audience that day, they would, well, it feels like it. Yeah, have ever been in that spiral of worry and anxiety? You just keep looking at your watch and time is going by, like, not at all it feels like you are adding hours and days in, in, in time, but you're not. Can any of you, with your worry, with your anxiety, with your concern, can any of you actually add to your life? No, is the answer here. And that's the real problem with worrying. That's the, the practical problem with worrying. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't do what we're trying to do with it. It doesn't accomplish what we want accomplished. It doesn't work. I remember when my, my brothers, who are twins, uh, turned, I think it was their third birthday. They were preschoolers. They were toddlers. And at this point in life, they were both obsessed with, with cars. They had mostly matchbox cars, but every kind of car that you can imagine, by, by the dozens upon dozens and the hundreds upon hundreds. And so on this particular birthday, the twin boys received as presents every conceivable mechanism that you would ever want to drive a matchbox car through. They got racetracks to drive their matchbox cars on. They got a garage to drive their matchbox cars into. They got a little village that they could drive their matchbox cars through. They got this great big um, blanket with a, with a matchbox car map on it so they could sit on the blanket, covered half of our family room, and they could drive their matchbox cars around on this blanket. They got everything that a little boy could ever want because my parents really liked them much better than me. I know, that's a whole other thing. They got everything that two little boys could ever possibly want to drive their matchbox cars on. 
right? And so we had this great big birthday party and, and they opened all of their gifts and it was just car stuff upon car stuff upon car stuff upon car stuff. And when the party was over and all of the gifts were open, lying around in the family room, my little brother Andy took the Rubbermaid container that all his Matchbox cars were in, turned it upside down and sat and drove his Matchbox car. <laughs> Surrounded by all of these beautiful new toys for driving Matchbox cars. My brother drove his Matchbox car on the bottom of a Rubbermaid container. I, I think worry can be like trying to choose presents for toddlers. You know, I think worry can be like trying to pick out the perfect present for a couple of three-year-old boys. Because when we worry, we spend our time and our energy trying to account for every foreseeable outcome. Maybe they'll want to drive them on a map. Maybe they'll want to drive them on a carpet. Maybe they'll want to take them into town. Maybe they'll want to put them in a garage. Maybe they'll want to put them on the racetrack. We try and come up with every single conceivable outcome. We invest ourselves entirely in an attempt to have an answer for every scenario and every possibility. And how many times in life do we go through that entire process only to discover that something that we hadn't accounted for is actually taking place? Meanwhile, we can never regain the physical and the emotional resources that were wasted in planning for things that never actually happened. Mom, Aunt Joanne, Uncle Dan, you shouldn't have bought them all those toys. They were just going to play. We wasted all that time and energy and money that could have been given to the better son. We wasted all of that because all of the scenarios that we imagine and try to account for and then something completely different happens. I'm done with my family issues now. I'm going to try and put it aside for the rest of the day. Here's what I'm saying. Our anxieties cause us to waste time and energy, don't they? Don't they? Our anxieties cause us to waste time and energy. Look, that is, that is bad enough on its surface. Nobody likes to have their time and their energy wasted. But could we put this under a kingdom spotlight for a minute? In God's kingdom, your time and your energy has great value. In God's kingdom, your time and your energy result in lost people coming to faith in Jesus. Your time and your energy results in miracles taking place in response to your prayers. Your time and your energy in God's kingdom results in the glory of God being put on display in dark places and on and on. And that's what your time and your energy does in the kingdom of God. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that? It's not just about your convenience. This is what your time and your energy does and accomplishes in the kingdom of God. And there is nothing that the enemy would enjoy more than seeing you waste your time and your energy on a fruitless exercise like worry. So he's going to invite you to do exactly that. But Jesus wants you to know, he wants all of us to know, that in the kingdom... There's a better way. In the kingdom, there's a better way. And to illustrate his point, Jesus asks us to consider the beauty of wildflowers. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? 
If that's how he clothes the grasses of the field, like grass, is, is there anything more ordinary than grass? And if God in his wisdom and his creativity has chosen to clothe and ornament the ordinary run of the mill literally under your foot, grass, if he's chosen to clothe it with the beauty of wildflowers, how much more will he clothe you? I said I was done with family issues today. I'm really not. <laughs> because here I'm reminded, but I'm going to go to, I'm going to skip to a different generation. You, you guys over here are off the hook. I remember when Jessica was uh, preschool age, and it's cool because she's in the nursery now, so, you know, or kids' church, rather. No, I remember when Jessica was preschool aged, she was scared, as a lot of preschoolers are, she was scared of animals. She was scared of animals. And I can remember on a handful of occasions, you know, going to the fair, going to the carnival, going here or there, and having the opportunity to go into the petting zoo. And I always wanted to take Jessica into the petting zoo. I always wanted her to have that, you know, let's go pet the sheep, let's go pet the goats. And, you know, the really cool ones, you can feed them too. You, put the, you get the corn and we're going to go do that, babe. We're going to go do that. We're going to have fun. And she'd be like, I'm not sure about this. <coughs> okay, but you're going to come with me. We're going to do it. We're going to have a good time. I wanted her to have the opportunity to do all of that. But we would get into those petting zoos. And her fear, her anxiety, her concern, her worry would overcome her, right? And she could not let go of my thigh. She would just like grab hold like it was a tree trunk and just like could not, come on, babe, let's go, let's, let's, let's go, let's go. Let's, here, here's a sheep, let's pet him. And she's like, I'm not touching the sheep. I'm not doing. And when the animals would get close to us, it wasn't enough to just be grabbing onto my thigh. She would like be climbing me to get away from them. If she could have climbed inside of me, I think she would have done that. She wanted no part of any of this. And I just, I just wanted her to, you know, let's feed the chickens. Come on, let's have a good time. This is fun. I enjoy it. I don't know what your problem is. Come on, let's, let's do this. And she just would not do it. And I can remember wishing, wishing that she would just recognize, I'm your dad. I'm not going to take you into a situation where you're going to get hurt. Don't you trust me? Oh, don't you trust me, right? Like, couldn't I just, how can I communicate to her? Don't you, I am not going to put you in a position where you are going to get eaten by a sheep. It's not going to happen. So just relax, just relax. And let's do this together and let's have fun. But she could not get past that. She couldn't get past it. Couldn't get past it. So am I supposed to be offended now? Like what, you think I'm trying to hurt you? You know, what do you think of me? What do you have to pick a fight with my daughter? <laughs> well, that's exactly what I, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, there's, there's this understanding that, boy, she's just, she's just not gonna get past it. You know what I wanted for her? I wanted her to be able to rest on that assuredness and that confidence in my daddy's watching out for me. And if he says it's okay, it's gonna be okay. But sometimes our anxieties and our concerns and our worries, they're just too overwhelming. They don't let us do that. Um, you and I, grown-ups, we're no different. Accepting the enemy's invitation to worry requires us to set aside what we know to be true about the Father. 
If we accept the enemy's invitation to worry, what we have to do is put aside what we already knew to be true about the Father. Let me put it another way. Our anxieties cause us to ignore God's character. To ignore God's character. Let me ask you this. Do any of these, con- do any of these concerns sound familiar? I'm worried that if I manage my finances the way God has told me to, I won't have enough money. I'm worried that if I manage my calendar the way God has told me to, I won't have enough time. I'm worried that if I manage my love life the way God has told me to, I won't have enough pleasure. I'm worried that if I manage my relationships the way God has told me to, I won't have enough friends. I'm worried that if I manage my standards the way God has told me to, I won't have enough fun. And we could go on and on and on. I'm worried that if I do it this way, I won't have enough. And concerns like those can only exist in a world where we have ignored the character of God. Those concerns only have the breath of life if we have eliminated what we know to be true about the character of God. You see, that's why the enemy invites us to worry. He knows that God's promises address all of those issues and many, many more. A host of other things that we might come up with to worry about. But he wants us to forget all of that. And so... He says, why don't we worry about this instead? But Jesus says, in the kingdom, there's a better way. There's a better way. Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom of God, this thing that he's been talking about, that he now is sitting on a mountainside and trying to explain, trying to unpack in more detailed fashion. He's saying, look, there's this whole other way of dealing with what you have only ever known as anxiety. There's a better way of dealing with this. Now you might ask, is Jesus actually expecting me to take all of these things that feel like they matter, you know, things that are pretty important, like security and and happiness and and provision? Is Jesus actually telling me to just put those aside and, and just simply do without? And this is where we come back to the, is Jesus being practical? Is he being practical? I need Jesus to be practical. Is Jesus being practical? Well, Jesus is being practical. Listen to verse 33. He says, just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. First, just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Not, and aren't you glad? Could we just have like a collective like wiping of the brow here aren't we glad that jesus didn't say just seek first the kingdom of god and then we'll figure something out (laughs) just seek first god's kingdom and then you'll ignore the rest and you know i guess it'll all work out okay in the end ah doesn't sound like a good deal to me but he says seek first my kingdom Make, make my kingdom this kingdom that i have come to inaugurate to talk about make this priority number one And then we start to fill in the other blanks. All these things will be given to you as well. When we worry, we're typically not thinking about the things of God's kingdom, right? When we worry, we're usually not thinking about the things of God's kingdom. We're thinking about the things of this world. And Jesus wants us to remember what we heard him say when we talked last Sunday. 
Life in God's kingdom requires a singular focus on God's kingdom. But too often, our anxieties cause us to jumble our priorities. It's just all out of whack. We're thinking about the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time in the wrong order. And that's what worry does. Causes us to jumble up our priorities. Uh, Early this summer, we took a a road trip to visit a couple of potential colleges. And we were sitting uh, in this college in North Dakota. There were several other people that had visited on that day as well. And so they served us lunch in the cafeteria. We happened to sit down at a table next to a family that had a a senior in high school, a young boy, um, who was looking at going to this university the following year as well. I sat down next to him and you know, we exchanged pleasantries. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. He said, where are you from? And I said, oh, we're from, we're from the Chicago area. He goes, oh, really? I'm, I'm from Idaho. Uh, you like Chicago or like the suburbs? I said, no, we live in, in, in the suburbs. He said, what, what suburb? I said, Naperville is where our town is. He goes, is there Menards in Naperville? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is a Menards in Naperville. He goes, I work at the Menards in Idaho in my hometown. I said, oh, interesting. He goes, you been to that Menards in Naperville? (laughs) Now, as it happens, I go to the Menards in Naperville all the time. So, yeah, I've been to the Menards in Naperville. He goes, which way is the plumbing? I said, excuse me? Which, Which way is the plumbing? His mom's like, you're going to have to excuse him. He really loves Menards. <laughs> so, I, so it seems. I said, he goes like, when you walk in to get to the plumbing section, do you turn left or do you turn right? I said, well, you turn right. He goes, is it right at the front? I said, no, lighting and electrical is at the front. Plumbing is the next on the right. He goes, oh, man. At home, it's on the left. But on the way, we stopped in Montana at a Menards. His mom goes, he made me pull over. <laughs> and they had their plumbing on the right also. I said, that's fascinating. Apparently. This boy went on, went on and on and on about Menards. I felt, do you remember in, in, in uh, Forrest Gump when Bubba is just like, well, there's popcorn shrimp and there's fried shrimp. I'm like, we're having lunch with Bubba Gump here. You know, because like, all he could talk about was Menards. And I just thought, here we are in the midst of one of the most important decisions in his young life. You know, like this is going to shape where he goes to school, he could be meeting his spouse, he could be finding his place in, in the kingdom and ministry, like all of this. And maybe I'm putting a little too much pressure on this as, you know, the dad of an impending college student. But I'm like, this is so important. And you want to know where the plumbing section at the Menards in Naperville is. <sighs> Our anxieties <laughs> cause us to jumble our priorities. You ever get to a moment in life when you realize, you know what, what I've been thinking about, what I've been spending, we said it earlier, all that mental time and energy about, what, I, what I've been so focused on, Woody Boyd standing in front of the closet trying to pick out all these things that are happening in my life right now aren't really what's important. Jesus said, yeah, now you're awakening to the kingdom. I like it. I like it because now you're discovering the kingdom. Now you're recognizing that worry and anxiety, oh, we have better alternatives in the kingdom. So don't worry. He said, 
Do not worry about your life or what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. By the way, to that what you're going to wear thing, I say a hearty amen. Uh, do not worry about those kinds of things because there is more to the life to which you have been called than the things you tend to worry about. Could we just receive that today rather than as a thou shalt not instruction of, oh great, we got another thing we're supposed to feel guilty about when we do, right, 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 right? Instead of receiving it that way, could we receive that as, oh my goodness, what grace there is in understanding that the kingdom offers us a better way. The kingdom offers us a way to live through the concerns of this world, recognizing that they pale in comparison to the fullness and the richness of the life to which we have been called. Jesus did not come to inaugurate a kingdom that says, here, take this ticket, hang on to it, suffer through the next 70 to 80 years of your life, and if you're lucky, maybe you'll get to go to heaven. We live like that's the gospel. But that is not the gospel. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have a full, abundant, rich life. And in this kingdom in which I'm offering you citizenship, we have better alternatives to worry. In closing, let me say this. I think one of the reasons that it's so easy for us to accept that invitation that the enemy gives us again and again, come worry about this. Come be anxious about this. Come focus on this and be concerned with me. One of the reasons that it's so easy for us to accept that invitation is that it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the truth is we don't know what's coming next. And most of life is beyond our control. We all know because we've seen it happen. Bad things happen sometimes. Who wouldn't worry? It makes sense, doesn't it? Well, much later on, the Apostle Paul will write in the New Testament in his letter to the church in Philippi. He'll say, you know what, guys? Don't be anxious about anything. Which sounds a whole lot like when Jesus said, don't worry, right? Oh, okay, Paul, we'll just do that. <laughs> don't. Okay, thanks. Wish we'd thought of it. <coughs> but Paul fleshes it out in a little bit more detail. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Watch this. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I love that phrase, don't you? It transcends the peace of God. Here's how I take that. The peace of God, which doesn't always make sense. The peace of God, which doesn't always make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Worry makes sense. That's why it's so easy to fall into. Peace of God doesn't always make sense, which is why it can feel so elusive, right? Jesus gets it. Paul gets it. The Holy Spirit who gave us these words, he gets it. But how do we get to that point? How do we get to that point where the peace of God becomes the rule of my life? Well, you said it, by prayer and petition. Oh, okay, so you mean just, just pray more, pray more. And, I'll, you know, and we're kind of like, well, that sounds like kind of an easy answer. Here's why I'm bringing this up. And this is how we're going to close. I have purposely used the phrase several times today talking about worry. The enemy invites us to worry. The enemy invites us to worry. I really believe that. 
It, this is a tool that the enemy uses. He's like, oh, why don't you worry about it? I'm going to extend. The enemy can't make you worry, but he can invite you to worry. He can make it look like the logical thing to do next. The enemy invites us to worry. What does Paul say we ought to do when that happens? He says, pray. Pray. Okay. Here's why I think that's important. Does the enemy want you to pray? No. No. He doesn't want you to pray. He's no fool. He doesn't want you to pray. The enemy invites you to worry. And your response to his invitation is to pray. Let's set aside the issue for just a moment. Are, are your prayers going to be effective? Are you, are you going to pray down, you know, heaven and, and you know, great miracles are going to happen and all? Let's set all that aside. Let's just say that the enemy invites you to worry and your response is pray. And he says, whoa, <laughs> didn't see that coming. Uh, there's something else to worry about. Mike, you want to worry about this? And Mike's response is, well, before I make a decision on that, I'm just going to pray for a while. Before long, the enemy, who has been inviting you to worry and be anxious, and every time he does it, you just pray, the enemy says, you know what, I'm going to stop extending that invitation because it has exactly the opposite effect of what I intended. Church, that's spiritual warfare, and that's victory. So Paul says, when you receive that invitation in the mail, when the enemy says, wouldn't it be great? To just sit around and, and, and be anxious and worry about that? Pray. Respond by praying. And do it again. And do it again. And do it again. I believe his words were in every circumstance. In every instance. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You are going to find the enemy defeated in your life. And then the peace of God, which, let's be honest, doesn't always make sense. Isn't always logical. Can't always be explained. That peace will begin to rule your heart and begin to rule your life. Don't you want that? And I want that. I want that. Lord, we want that. We desire that. We've talked about it a few times in the last few months. We want to just chase those blessings down. We want to chase them down. You said it right there. You said it right there. We, we want our lives to be ruled not by anxiety, not by worry, but by a peace which just doesn't always make sense. Worry makes sense. <laughs> Anxiety makes sense. That we get. That we understand. That we can follow the logic of. But Lord, we reject it just as we have rejected the kingdoms of this world. Because in your kingdom, there are better options. There are better options. So Lord, I pray over those right now whose lives have been punctuated by seasons of worry and anxiety. We pray together, Lord, and we pray together in faith, united in faith encouraging one another all the more that you would show us how to just reject that invitation we don't have to show up to every worry party that the enemy invites us to but instead lord we can be reminded of your character we can be built up within ourselves as we recall that which you have promised that which you have said and that who you are we don't want to waste time anymore because a time is of great value in the kingdom our time impacts eternity in the kingdom of God. Our time impacts the timeless. <coughs> that's what you've said. And that's the way you've designed it. 
And so, Father, I pray that you, by the work of your Spirit in our hearts, both in our understanding and beneath our understanding, beyond our understanding, you would help us to reject with worry, reject needless anxiety, reject the invitations of the enemy, and live lives that are punctuated and marked instead by the peace of God, which passes understanding, surpasses understanding. May it be so according to your will for your people in your kingdom, marked by your spirit, we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everyone says, amen. Go in peace and be blessed. Love you, church.